Hello everyone, I'm Michael Bennett and this is part of a series of podcasts on sustainability in conjunction with Birmingham City Council. I'd like to welcome you back to part two of my conversation with Simon Needle. However, if you are joining us for the first time, please make sure to go back to part one and not to miss anything important. Otherwise, let's get back into the conversation. And just coming back to something you said earlier about uh, how industrialised North East Birmingham is particularly, how is industry getting involved with improving uh, these, the city uh, and bringing nature back, if you will? Are we seeing uh, these industrial units developing, you mentioned green roofs, for example, are we seeing people interested in, in the new units having green roofs on them or how are, are the private sector getting involved with this? I think that's I think that's a bit mixed. I think um, there are some some good examples out there. Big industrial units, are, I think, are difficult ones to tackle because you know depending on the type of activity that's inside those, they're often looking for you know x amount of floor space, but they also need the the height within there, and so the additional load bearing requirements of a green roof don't necessarily go with some of the the designs that they come forward and of course you know it's always going to be a balance of you know cost compared to what they need to be delivering on the ground so you know while we'll while we will try and challenge that or certainly I was just a we I was obviously royal we there I mean you know in terms of ecology uh, we'll try and challenge that we'll try and encourage that sort of process we you know we, we are going to get some pushback on that but that's not to say that green roofs are the be all and end all of, of everything you know we're trying to encourage the you know new developments to have more green space down at, at sort of ground level, trying to put a few more trees in. And considering, I suppose, not just the, the fact that that will have a, a wider benefit, but also the, the direct benefit that it has to their, their staff and employees as well. You know, I look at some of these, you know, industrial units and some of the older style ones, they're very barren. And you think, well, where are your staff going to, for their lunch break? They've either got staff canteen or if they're going outside it's the car park with tarmac and concrete and actually you know why can't we you know create a little bit of space outside for them to go into that maybe they want to get involved as part of the management of it as well and sort of have that healthy activity and you know studies have shown over the years that engagement with that green environment by people who live in offices and factories or working offices and factories or so you know actually reduces sickness levels within the staff so their productivity is, go- is going to be benefited from that. So there's the knock-on benefits, and it, how we explain those to people, I suppose, is, you know, and who perhaps see a more traditional sense is is a, is a difficult one. But the, the government's you know mandate coming through for 10% biodiversity net gain is going to have some impact on how these developments are delivered. You know, as a, as a as an urban area like Birmingham, while that mandate allows for that 10% biodiversity net gain to be delivered on site or off site. Where off-site are they going to be delivering in Birmingham? Really, this is where we come back to the city's green spaces. That's really the where they can go, because we don't want to see ten percent net gain being delivered in East Anglia or Scotland or you know Yorkshire or somewhere. And there's nothing wrong with any of those places, but the benefit needs to be for the people of Birmingham and the, and the wildlife in Birmingham. So, you know, encouraging them to put that within their own footprint first is going to be the best thing. You know, we can try and do so that that'll be coming through. With our sort of planning policy, you know, or planning guidance uh, with the City of Nature Plan, that's that's going to be a, a supplementary planning document, I believe. So, so it sort of adds to the the, the weight and direction given by the, the overall Birmingham Development Plan. And looking out beyond sort of 2027, where the pilot is is due to end, whether it gets extended or not, is obviously one of those things. 
What are the next stages, or is that very heavily dependent on how the pilot progresses? Well, I think we know what we need to do. We've got the 25-year plan. We need to be implementing that. So the, the thing that's going to be running concurrently at the moment is ensuring that we get these changes embedded into city's policies, into the city's management processes. So how we manage the spaces, where we spend money, you know, looking at can, can we make sure that we, you know, sustain the community groups. It's going to be a very different focus, I think, from how parks were managed in the past and how we manage green space. We're trying to make that shift uh, in that management. Like I say, embedding it in, in the council's policies and priorities is what's going on at the moment, looking to set up uh, a city of nature board that ensures the delivery of that uh, 25-year plan. So making sure that somebody at the, the, the higher levels of sort of management is is taking ownership of that. So, you know, would that be a sort of, um, you know, cabinet member or strategic director level, ha- making them sort of responsible for that delivery and then having the appropriate reporting mechanisms that we can see that we're making making progress on that. We'll, we'll have some statutory re- reporting mechanisms in there. So we'll have to report on you know, our work towards improving biodiversity within the city through the planning process. So that's a legislative requirement. But yeah, picking up on all these other bits, you know, so we'll have to have some well thought out performance indicators that we're monitoring and showing that we're delivering on that. And just thinking ahead, we've already spoken about the wards that are involved in the pilot. I've got no doubt that groups who are based outside of those wards will will want to make some progress and get involved Mm -hmm. probably before 2027. Mm-hmm. Um, how do people and businesses get involved if they're if they're not in the pilot scheme? So I think for for those, I mean, we've we've been we've been working with the Birmingham Open Spaces Forum along this process and the National Trust as well, um, engaging with friends of parks groups and other community groups outside of these wards. So really, it's just about them understanding and picking up on the outputs of of the the City of Nature plan and seeing you know. There's no reason why they can't try and implement some of those interventions in their own areas. We're looking at the moment about whether we can develop a, a, a fair parks standard. You know, we've we've heard of things like the green flag park standard, but can we take that and, and, and make that fit the other priorities as well within the environmental justice strand? So looking at those other aspects, you know. So once we've developed that far pe- fair parks standard, you know, they could take that, look at their own park, and then engage with you know, planning officers, parks officers, their local councillor and say, look, you know, this park is, this park or this green space is doing doing okay. But actually, we think that by engaging a bit more, we could do do more with it. We can bring it up to that standard. And, you know, the, the city council has a limited budget. We're able to bid out for external funds, but actually community groups also have a, a big access to, to, to funding streams that, that we, we as a city don't have. Um, so we, you know, we like to empower those those groups to to to, to raise more funds, um, to to help deliver on these aspects. And again, this is where businesses can can play a part as well. So if you've got either local businesses within it within a ward or constituency, there might be a family business, there might be a small chain, having that sort of side of corporate social responsibility, but looking at the environmental side of things, um, they might be able to contribute by providing some staff time to help deliver a project it might be that they have materials that are surplus of requirements so you know some of the some of the big construction firms when they're doing you know activities they might have surplus materials that are either off cuts or leftovers from what they've done you know being able to 
recycle those into community groups to deliver activities is going to be, you know, uh, quite a good aspect. Uh, and then I think the other side of things we'll need to look at is whether there's opportunities to, you know, deliver on, say, carbon sequestration within these parks. So, you know, if there are businesses looking to sequester carbon, is there some way that we can work with them to deliver that and actually they can fund something happening in their local environment? You know, at the moment we see lots of, you know, tree planting schemes that are, you know, in, in sort of South America or through Africa or India and China, you know, or the ones in the UK tend to be where we've got lots of open space. So there might be up in Scotland. But actually, is there a way that we can fund those and deliver some of that intervention locally? So hopefully we can try and pull in some of that capital investment, maybe, but through the sort of social responsibility, environmental strands. I think one of the things you touched on there, particularly the friends of groups, mm-hmm. um, there are so many of those popping up. And so many of them relate to sites and areas you wouldn't really normally think of as being green spaces. So, mm-hmm. so where, around where I live, for example, two of the local train stations have been picked up by mm-hmm. friends of groups, mm-hmm. um, which you've done an awful lot in not just cheering up the environment by painting murals and so on, but also planting the areas around the station with uh, a much more diverse range mm-hmm. of, of plants and trees um, and ensuring that the whole area is just has that nicer greener more sustainable and ecologically friendly environment and it's uh, as you say it's it's about becoming a city built within a park if you will mm-hmm. it's, it's something we discussed a bit earlier what are those slightly more unusual places that you might be able to ve- to develop maybe in conjunction with the council a friends of a high street could work on making the high street a more green area mm-hmm. Uh, or your own road or the bus station around the corner, whatever it may be, any mm-hmm. one of these areas can be picked up and, and turned into a much mm-hmm. nicer space. Mm-hmm. And particularly when you're talking about business getting involved and uh, allotting space to, to become a green area, if they can't do it on their own site, can they get involved in one of these areas, mm-hmm. be it the local train station to where the site is mm-hmm. or the local bus stops where people come in to work? Can you make those a nicer environment? And I think it's it's all these little things that people can do that add up to make a, a very big change, if you will. And as you mentioned the construction companies, while materials are obviously expensive at the moment, there's always some offcuts and surplus materials. And if those were available on a on a site or somewhere where people could just come and, and say, we need some of that to to build planters. We need some of that to concrete in a new a new fence that will per- create the line of a hedge. Mm-hmm. Whatever it may be, you know, those are all things that uh, that that business could do to help without having to go through, as we mentioned, the extra structural loadings of green roofs or anything mm-hmm. like that, and all the complicated mm-hmm. bits. It's those simple little changes that people can make. Yeah, and I mean, there's the, you know, there's, there's routes out there now. I think becoming more, you know, things that were launched. I think over the last couple of years, there's there's a, a platform called Match My Project, which I think has got the backing of the city council on that. But, you know, so that's trying to get community groups to put forward their need. And then, you know, organisations or companies can register and sort of say, well, you know, we've got something that we can match up here. If somebody wants something, you know, whether it be some materials, some time, you know, well, we've got that, you know, we can we can deliver on there. Um, some companies have been, you know, recycling things like old IT equipment, you know, from... from you know, a lot of big companies have a turnover of IT. They've got to keep up with the latest stuff, but actually it's perfectly usable for a whole host of other, you know, options. Um, and we're saying, well, actually that could be, you know, with, with uh, you know, materials. And, and I think there are also projects as well where, where that expertise could be delivered as well. You know, we've got people who might be 
quantity surveyors or might be landscape architects or might be you know any, any one of a number of professions you know i mean i, I i'm a tr i've been a trustee of a number of organizations and, and on our trustees board we've always tried to you know have a range of skills so you know just like yourself we, we needed somebody who has you know legal experience or we might have somebody who has hr experience and those sorts of things and these can often be useful with, with community groups or you know you've got people who regularly write bids for stuff you know actually that could be something that they could contribute they might not necessarily have the time to physically get in the park but they can still play an active part in in helping with their community groups on, on that basis yeah and, and then we've got you know use of equipment as well so that up at uh, alexander stadium the company that was delivering some of the groundworks up there actually got engaged with the friends group and used their machinery to do some groundwork prep for them so they could actually implement a, a new wildflower meadow within the park so it was literally a couple of hours of uh, you know somebody's time in the digger but actually the the impact on on the park and and, and biodiversity has been quite great and so mm -hmm. it's a good little you know good news story didn't take much out of the day but actually both have got a bit of a win out of that so and that's it well the big things are always appreciated those little things do make a huge difference over time particularly yeah. if there's a lot of them yeah so we've we've obviously been talking about the the overall city of nature plan in in as a well, our overarching uh, topic, if you will, uh, within that there's clearly a lot of individual uh, plans and procedures being uh, gone through. Um, did you want to touch briefly on uh, the Urban Forest Master Plan that I know you've been uh, very closely involved with? Yeah, thanks. So the, the Urban Forest Master Plan is looking at the the, the sum, the, all of the trees in the city. We know that you know from all the scientific research that trees have multiple benefits that can be delivered in terms, you know, it, to, to an urban area like this or, and to the natural environment. So, you know, not only do they provide, you know, biodiversity value, they've got homes for birds and they provide food for a whole host of insects and, and other things. But those other, as we've already mentioned, the ecosystem services that they deliver are, are critical really for creating an environment in which we can live when we look at the challenges that climate change is going to be presenting us so we're already seeing changes in the weather patterns we're seeing warmer days you know staying hotter for longer so trees as they're taking up moisture from the ground will be transpiring that sort of leaves creating cooling so we can use that process to help cool urban environments as it rains again there'll be water being trapped on the leaves on the bark they slow that flow down overall and then if we think about how that interact the trees interact with the air as well so we've got poor air quality in some places. So we've got air being taken into the leaves and they're actually trapping some of the particulate matter, some of the, those chemicals that are in the atmosphere there. So they're taking those out of the air, but also the whole crown of the tree. So all the leaves, the branches, they create a roughness in the air. So that air turbulence helps dissipate uh, air pollution. When we're looking at the urban forest, we can see where we've got lots of trees, where we haven't got trees where those benefits from those trees are gonna be most felt. And so that again aligns with the, the whole priorities of these wards through the environmental justice strand, because they're also areas where not only do they have less access to green space, but overall they have less tree canopy cover. So we've done some mapping around the same kind of aspect to, to highlight where we want to prioritize these tree, tree, these tree planting activities. So that's, you know, that's giving us one strand there, but, when we also think about how trees are being impacted by climate change, so they're providing benefits for us 
to allow us to adapt to climate change, but how are they adapting? This is where it gets a little bit more complicated. So we're, we're looking at the tree species that we have within the city. Uh, what have we got a lot of? What have we not got a lot of? Are the trees that we do have the right trees for the right location? So we've got a, a, a legacy of, you know, Victorian and Edwardian plantings of things like London plains and hybrid limes, which were the only trees that really grew in a city centre which had such poor air quality as we had back then. But those are ha presenting their own problems, you know, the lime trees, if anybody who lives close to one of those, they'll know that, you know, you get all this growth up from the ground, you know, the sucker growth, as we call it, all the growth up the trunk. You've got all the aphids on the tree that exude the honeydew and leave sticky deposits over the floor, your car, your windows, you name it, it's everywhere. So that, that, while they're a good tree, they're not necessarily great in the urban environment. So what can we be doing to sort of, in looking at our tree planting, to sort of phase those out a little bit over the years? So we're looking at alternative species, so we're looking at maybe less native species, but things that will provide biodiversity benefits uh, and things that will cope with the changing climate as well. So some species of trees that we have are sort of almost on their northerly edge of their range. So they cope with the temperate climate that we have. But if we move towards a more, maybe a more Mediterranean sort of type climate, warmer days, drier periods, they're not going to survive in these environments. Their natural range will move further north. They won't thrive in this environment. So we've got to find trees that, that will grow here. So if you're walking around the city centre, you'll start to see a range of different trees out there. You'll see things like hibiscus, you know, on the streets. So they're, they've got quite showy flowers. There's things like um, looking at ginkgo and paulonia, all sorts of different trees that will cope with these different environments. And when we're looking at building in, you know, urban resilience, the flooding, and we're looking at putting rain gardens in, we have to find tree species that will also cope not only with the dry environments, but also the inundation with water as well. So some of the tree species that we're putting in are, are able to cope with both that wet and dry aspects. So, but it's it's quite a complex plan. But we're looking, you know, we're looking citywide. Yeah, so there's climate side of that, but also pests and diseases as well. So if you've seen things like the ash trees that are uh, on the streets or in parks. Where they're in decline, that's because of ash dieback. We were at risk of other pests and diseases coming over. So we've got to build resilience in against those. We don't want to be in a position where we're losing, you know, we're already losing probably 80, 90% of the ash trees in the UK. We've already lost most of the elms back in the 70s and 80s. We don't want to be in that position where we lose all, you know, a whole host of trees in one go. So diversifying species is building in resilience against pests and diseases as well. And of course, it has the advantage to the general population that you have such a variety and mm. when they flower so many different colors around and it just creates that happier environment even if you don't know about the other benefits that that they provide but as you say they're absolutely critical to, to breaking up yeah. the airflow for air pollution yeah. to sequestering carbon particularly when they're growing mm. um to picking up moisture mm. and as you know as you all well know the the amount of heat it takes just to to warm water in the atmosphere if it's uh, it, it controls temperature so well when it does that. But with the changing environment, it is going to need a huge variety of different mm -hmm. trees which can adapt to that. Mm -hmm. um, we're already seeing vastly wetter winters and springs, somewhat intermittent, shall we say, summers, when we see the summer at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and when it, the summer does come, it's significantly hotter than it than it ever was. And it's going to make that master plan, I can imagine, very, very complicated to, to plan out and uh, understand and get across and and plant if you will and one will obviously be ashamed to to lose the ash trees which 
in practice we've pretty well lost already and we've already lost the elms and there are obviously burrowers which are which are now coming across and killing off other varieties of trees as well that variety and change in in species will bring bring great benefit in some ways um, and one of the other plans we wanted to talk about was the local nature recovery network so talk talk us through what that is how it's meant to work and how people can get involved with it so the the local nature recovery network is is something that we're it links to the Environment Act that was uh, brought in in, uh, in November 2021. So that requires local areas, so such as, as Birmingham and, and, and sort of the combined authority area, to have a, a, a strategy in place that identifies those sites that form their core ecological network. So these are the sites that have good diversity of species and habitats on them that provide good connections through, so you've got movement of... Of, of species through there uh, and then also within time with that the opportunity areas as well so we once we've got our core sites set in place where are the opportunities between this and this links back to the uh, the make space for nature report the Lawton report which was uh, you know looking at our green spaces and saying well actually what we need is bigger better spaces and more joined up and so this is, I suppose, the, the next iteration of that. This is, you know, this is inextricably linked to the, the city of nature work. Is we're looking at the core site, the sites that we've got at the moment, identifying which are our core sites, our core corridors, and then looking at where we need to be putting the interventions in. And I said that, you know, that just links so well in with the priority wards that we need to be working in. But this is going to help us identify maybe existing green space that is of poor quality it might be a large piece of grass that's cut you know 12 14 times a year no trees no plants no much biodiversity but we can use that to enhance biodiversity by changing the way it's managed putting new interventions in trees shrubs etc and that might come as part of this planning gain from the biodiversity net gain process so as developments are occurring in a particular area we can be looking to use these and those will help bolster that network provide key linkages through it also helps us plan a bit more when we're looking strategically at where we might need to be doing uh you know regeneration work for example you know we can see that actually there might be an opportunity area within an existing housing estate but actually there's no green space there so actually you know long term can we do something about that if we're looking at coming in and doing some regeneration on that area can we actually form better links through there can we create that green space within there and those opportunities so it's going to help influence how we develop things going forward uh well we have to see you know exactly how much influence that has but uh you know that's the i that's the idea that you know within that you'll get the opportunity to sort of show that you're benefiting biodiversity you're creating the space for nature uh, and that you're improving its chances of survival and uh, increasing the, 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 that diversity. Well, thank you very much for that, Simon. And um, I hope everybody who's been listening has enjoyed uh, today's talk on the City of Nature plan. Hopefully what you've gotten from this is that the, the real plan for, is for the city to become a much healthier place, a much better place to live through the use of the environment or rather the better use of the environment around us, whether that is improving the parks, whether it's mm-hmm. taking small steps in, in local areas, and it's something that everybody can get involved in, whether you're looking at this from a business perspective, a development perspective, or if you're just an individual who wants to improve your local area. There are so many small steps you can take 
to improve the spaces around you, whether it's by joining one of those friends of groups or a litter picking group, or just becoming involved through the consultations and, and learning how the parks are going to be managed and putting across how you would like them to be managed. So hopefully you'll join us again for the next in the series. Uh, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again.